Welcome to NSCA's Coaching Podcast, episode 51. We're going on rucks and overnight stuff with them because we want to feel and understand what they're going through. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I am Scott Caulfield. Today with me, Hunter Schur, Human Performance Specialist, Fort Lewis, Washington, working with the Fort First Special Forces Group. Hunter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Scott. Yeah, awesome to have you here. You're here in town for the TSAC Leaders Summit. So how's that been for you so far? It's been great. Um, not just the presenters that we've had so far, but just the minds in that room to be able to just talk shop and hang out and see what everybody's doing from, you know, a lot of just different demographics as far as who they're working with, their backgrounds. You know, that's kind of the best part is kind of, you know, some of that networking that you get to do outside of the presentations to really get to know people and what they're doing. Totally. Such a huge part of it outside and eat, getting meals with people. What's the kind of, you know, that it, this is kind of a invitation only thing. It's called the Leader Summit. How is this different than some of the other TSAC um, specific events or, you know, was there a specific goal that's kind of coming out of it? Yeah, it's it's nice because you've got, you know, to an extent, a certain level of experience. You've got people that were a lot of the pioneers, you know, with a lot of the, you know, military training that started, you know, probably close to a decade ago. You know, not that it wasn't going on beforehand, but really where that focus was really started to push that this is an area that is lacking and, you know, is long overdue as far as training for, whether it's military, fire, SWAT, whatever it may be. Um, and so you've got a lot of these people specifically in the room that laid a lot of the groundwork that has kind of created this separate tactical branch, so to speak. So to get to know, you know, people that are instrumental and that have created this field in general has been huge. So to be a part of that's been a real nice honor. That's awesome. Yeah, that's huge. And um, cool. We'll dive more into TSAC stuff a little bit more later, but I want to kind of get uh, from you a little bit more just icebreaker questions. Let mm-hmm. the audience get to know you a little. But um, how about talk about um, maybe sports that you played in high school? What did you do back in the day? Um, I grew up kind of playing everything. You know, I was you know, very fortunate to grow up in the 80s and 90s where you were out from the morning until the sun came down. Um, but, you know, in high school, I played football. Um, I grew up in a small town in South Dakota, um, so I played a little bit everything position-wise. Um, you know, from offensive line to, you know, defensive line to linebacker to whatever it may be, I was about 200 pounds. So, you know, could just move around and do whatever. Um, played basketball and then threw uh, discus in high school cool. as well. Did you get into lifting when you were in high school or not really? A little bit. Yeah. Not enough to know what was going on. You know, we had a weight room and you're familiar with stuff, but we didn't really have a ton of guidance. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, you did anything that was fun, nothing that was probably, you know, really worthwhile, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you said you're from South Dakota. You're in Washington now. Where? What's the best state or your favorite state that you've ever been to uh Man, so it's, I love Washington, um, where I'm at now. Um, live up, my wife and I, we live up in the Seattle area, just north of that. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, you've yeah. got, you know, Puget Sound, which is right there. The mountains are five, you know, 10 minutes away, and then you've got the city. Nice. Um, Seattle kind of gets a bad rap as far as the weather. <laughs> but I mean, for the most part, it's, it's 50 to 70 degrees, and the summers are gorgeous. Um, yeah. But again, it's, I've been really fortunate. I've lived in a lot of places from Virginia to Texas. Um, I was born, you know, in, up in Boulder, Colorado. You know, I coached at Wyoming. So I've seen, 
a lot of different places and you can kind of pick apart, you know, what were great and what yeah. areas lacked otherwise. Definitely. No, I've been, been up that way too. And yeah, the, the mountains and the ocean and that close proximity too is a pretty cool thing. To yeah. Have. It's, it's, it's definitely tough to beat. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. How about, uh, another one kind of get, get some musical taste here. What was the first concert you ever went to? Man. Um, so I grew up in Spearfish, which is about 15 minutes down the road from Sturgis. Oh, and Sturgis wow. has the huge motorcycle rally. Yep. <laughs> and with that, you get all sorts of concerts and everything else. So I think the first show I ever saw was, it might have been Def Leppard. Nice. At the yeah. Buffalo Chip Campground. Yep. <laughs> and any, if anybody knows anything about the Buffalo Chip, is kind of in any place, anything goes type of place. <laughs> and so I think I was in maybe eighth grade or something yeah, like yeah, that. And yeah. you just see things and it's a whole new world. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. That's great. I think, yeah, I think Def Leppard, uh, Pour Some Sugar on Me was the second concert <laughs> I ever went to in Old Orchard Beach, Maine back nice. in the day. <laughs> That's great. Um, cool. Well, you talked about uh, college a little bit. You went to Wyoming as an athlete. Talk a little bit about, you as know. As a coach. As a coach. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you were there. Was that your first job? It was my first real job. First so, yeah. Job. So, I, I did my undergrad um, in South Dakota at Black Hill State. Okay. Um, they were an NAIA school at the time, and I threw the discus hammer and weight while I was there. Cool. Um, I did my master's at the University of Virginia. Okay. So I was a grad assistant there, and that's really where I got into strength and conditioning. Yeah. Um, and coming from a small school, I didn't even know anything about it. Yeah. It wasn't until later on, you know, that I learned about whether it was the NSCA and prepping for, you know, to take my CSCS. Um, but then I could, yeah, UVA, I fell in love with strength and conditioning. Yeah. So did my master's there as a grad assistant there. Um, and then Wyoming was kind of my first real job, so to speak. Okay, yeah. So did you kind of know about the... It, that it was an actual profession when you went to do that graduate school or was that where you kind of learned it's, that oh wait this could be an yeah, actual kind of my senior year I always knew like I, I knew I wanted to be around athletics and be involved in what and then that and I didn't know if that meant being an athletic trainer and right. then I learned more about the strength and conditioning was an actual field yeah because I actually enjoyed the training aspect probably more than I did the throwing yeah um yeah. and that the strength aspect allowed me to have some success um in track and then, yeah, but once I got to Virginia, um, that's where I fell in love with it. And I was really fortunate there to have some really good mentors. Um, Evan Marcus, who's with the Browns now, yeah. um, who's the head football guy there at the time. Um, and then Ed Nordenchild, Ed's oh, yeah. the head yep. Olympic guy still at UVA. Been there um, forever, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, two really great guys, tons of experience, and they were definitely the right people at the right time. Um, to get me to fall in love with that field and this job and this profession. That's cool. What, what do you think kind of, what are some of the key things that you, that those guys, you know, long time strength coaches imparted on you? What are the, you know, as a mentor and what are the real aspects from those people that you took away? Um, one of the first things I learned from Evan, um, was learning to care about your athletes as far as, you know, he, he taught me early on that if, you know, these guys are smart, and the people that you're going to be working with are smart, they're intuitive, and they don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And I've never seen, in the two years that I was there, I've never seen a group of guys work harder for their coach than I saw them work for Evan. Wow. 
I mean, he could get those guys ready to go. They worked really hard. You know, it's and so to see that work ethic kind of carry over into a lot of the, the success that UVA football had while I was there was awesome to see. And I think Evan played a huge role in that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah too. They definitely. Someone else and I were just talking about that too, and to some degree, yes, they they also to some degree don't necessarily care how much you know, yeah, right? Like, exactly. I mean, they do at some point, and definitely the different levels that you go, and I'm sure when we talk about the guys you work with now, mm-hmm. they're going to care what you know and how you know. But a lot of the time, they really do just care. <laughs> they yeah, care I mean, they about wanna, them more than exactly. actually what you know. <laughs> they want to know that you're invested in them yeah, and that yeah, yeah. whatever knowledge you know, you are actually applying to them personally opposed to just trying to fit them into your regime or your mindset or whatever that may be. So you you definitely got to get to know your athletes, what motivates them, what drives them. And I mean, you know, what are they there for in the first place? Yeah, that's cool. And definitely as you transition into a different role with tactical, that's huge. Um, Mm -hmm. So you spent about seven years in the college setting. Did you, or did you kind of, hear about how did you even hear about the tactical world because i think a lot of people it's so new still yep yeah it definitely is um i was really fortunate we had a great staff at wyoming um and we've had actually a number of those people that have kind of fanned out or that are in the tactical world now um one of the assistants with me at wyoming um rob hartman who's now up at fort lewis as well um he was one of the first to get into it he was one of the guys that really got the ball rolling um, and was on the ground when a lot of the companies and everything were trying to learn, like, what would it take to bring strength coaches into this world? So Rob definitely played a huge role in that as far as letting me know that these positions are going to be coming in op- coming opening. And as far as, you know, if this is something you're interested in, you should definitely throw your name in the hat. Um, initially at the time, I wasn't ready to leave the college setting. Yeah. I loved it. Um, when I was at Wyoming, I was working with men's ba- basketball. Nice. Um, and that those I loved it. Those guys were my babies. It was just you had 15 guys, and I could tell you anything and everything about them. Yeah. Um, but then the opportunity came as far as the tactical world, and it was a new opportunity, working with obviously a unique population, um, and that kind of snowballed from there. As far as falling in love with that community, being able to give back, but it's 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 a great place to be to say the least. That's cool. What's been what was the biggest? Uh, I guess. It, let's say let's call it a difficulty but let the biggest change maybe for you from going from co- d1 college to that mm-hmm. tactical special forces army guys i guess just the understanding um as far as w- what's your purpose there and you really have to understand that you play a very small role and it's easy to get caught up in the fact that yes you want them to train hard and do all the things so they're physically ready but you have to understand that they have a lot of other stressors. These are grown men with real world things going on and it's much bigger than, okay, we got to get ready for this game on Saturday or yeah. we got a game against so-and-so or whatever it is. It's, so it's really taking that step back and looking at, you know, what is your role in making sure that these guys are as healthy as can be, your role in, you know, keeping them in that place, you know, so they can perform to the best of their ability. Um, with things that actually really matter. Yeah. And now, well, can you guys plan? I mean, obviously you're good planners, mm-hmm. but with a deployment schedule and um, things that come up in the world, how, how, um, you know, how far ahead of time are you guys able to plan and stuff out or are you changing on the fly a lot? Yeah, it's, you have to be flexible. Um, and it's going to differ, I think, you know, depending on the unit where people are at, you know, whether, whatever's going on with the Ranger schedule or the SEALs, or, you know, with us and Special Forces, which is, you know, the Green Berets, um, at least with us, their schedules are very hectic. 
they can be all over the place from their deployments and even a lot of the time when they're home they've got a lot they're on leave so they get that time with their families to rest and recuperate so even you know a lot of the times when they're home they're not home at least with us and so trying to then plan around those schedules and then they have other things going on from language labs to other schools to always making sure that they're you know pushing their actual career forward yeah. with different skill sets and so then to try to then fit that physical aspect of training in is is difficult and so you have to remain flexible you have to understand okay how often is this guy coming in do we know when he's going to be coming in um and then from there try to build at least some sort of you know periodized model so to speak in which you're not just throwing up some you know, random workout of the day up right. and you're not just, you know, there's actual training going on. Yeah. And so how do you adapt that to make sure that they have training going forward um, to fit in with what can be a very hectic schedule? Yeah. And what, uh, so how many guys do you guys serve in first special forces group? And we've got between, so you've got your staff and support staff, which is the people that basically, help out the operators of the Green Berets. And you could have anywhere between 1,500 to 2,000 people in group. Wow. Okay. And then in addition to that, you're going to have another 700, give or take, operators of Green Berets. Yeah. Now, based off their schedules, who's around. And again, we're a voluntary service. We want to make sure that if they don't want to utilize us, they don't have to. Okay. And they have so much already being kind of pushed down on them that we want to make sure that we're at least a resource for them. Yeah how they decide to utilize us, whether that's coming in full bore and letting us take over all their training, whether that's making sure that we're at least communicating with the teams to understand what they're doing and how can we then help, you know, make sure if they want to do their own thing yeah. or if they even, you know, utilize us at all. Yeah. And, and so it just to say that we oversee all of that would probably be a little bit of a stretch, but we want to at least make sure that we're getting our hands in that yeah. so they understand that we're there, you know, for one reason, that's just to help serve them. That's very cool. All right. I asked uh, Jeff this, who works with the Rangers uh, mm -hmm. yesterday, but why don't give me like a t snapshot of a typical day. If you guys are just, uh, you know, not on deployment, mm -hmm. you're in, you're at the Fort Lewis. What's yeah. So we'll, we'll run morning training sessions and we found the most success with that because for the most part, they'll have designated PT hours. And so we'll run two groups in the morning, um, usually between six and nine AM. Um, in which that'll be just the majority of the stuff that they'll go on because they have such hectic schedules and other things going on throughout the day. They know that those times are steadfast, that they can come in and get the training in that they need during those times um, without missing a beat. Um, now, that said, we'll definitely open up other times throughout the day. So it could vary based off their schedule. We could have training sessions at 8.30, at 11, at 1300 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So it can just vary day to day. So that's where, you know, that flexibility piece comes in. Definitely. Um, but we'll do a majority of our training in the morning. And then it comes down to a lot of just communication with, you know, we've got a lot of guys that are downrange. We've got a lot of guys on deployments. And so now it's like, okay, where are you at? What are the resources that you have to train with? You've got some guys that may be stuck in a very small compound that can't leave that, that now need to somehow maintain their physical fitness. You've got other guys that are lar at larger posts and bases and they can do anything that they could do at home. And so it's a lot of communication with guys downrange because a lot of their scheduling, they might be gone more than they are at home. Right. And so if we only train we're at home, we're going to take two steps back every time they're gone. Yeah. And so to make sure that they're getting the training that they need. So it's a lot of communication. And then we'll take care of a lot of our programming and paperwork and then just logistics on the job. 
Um, we'll do a, a lot of assessments and whatnot during the afternoon as well when we can handle a little bit of smaller groups. Um, and then we'll open up kind of over like our noon hour, give or take. We'll, we want to make sure that even though maybe our primary mission might not be our staff and support staff, a lot of the times they still, one, they need to be physically, you know, ready and be able to, you know, whether it's pass their PT test, right. stay healthy, because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that, you know, however they're long in the military, or even when they get out, they can actually have a normal life and they're not just completely, you know, beat up. And so we want to make sure that we still offer training to our, our non-operators. So yeah. we'll do, you know, some training sessions with them as well. Okay. And so day to day, it could flow, we could have two training sessions in the morning with a lot of paperwork and communication throughout the day. We could have four, five, six training sessions throughout the day based off what's going on. So it can vary day to day. So that flexibility piece yeah, cannot be huge. understated. Yeah, I bet. And you, uh, I'm sure it's like college, you, you have different types of people and mm -hmm. personalities. Is, no question. Have you, was it, was it easier to get buy-in from these guys to, to, do your training or harder or depends on the person? Yes. <laughs> and I say yes because, yeah, it depends on the person. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like any other demographic. You've got guys that are going to want to, they're going to want to be in the weight room, that you got guys that are going to want to run, you got guys that are going to want to do whatever type of training that they want to do on their own. Um, I've been out there for seven and a half years now, almost, um, I was, which I was fortunate to get there almost really when the programs kind of kicked off. And so buying initially was tough because, okay, who are these guys? We're, we're civilians, we're coming in, and now we're trying to tell them how to train. And that's been one of the big things is why we wanted to make things voluntary because we didn't want to come in and try to push our training down their throat. Yeah. We wanted to make sure that we are here for you and start to just kind of word of mouth and let the training speak for itself when people started to utilize us. Um, so buy-in was tough initially. But again, it just kind of snowballed. Yeah. And from different ways to create that buy-in as far as helping them train, we wanted to get out and spend as much time in the field with them as possible. Yeah. And, you know, so get out of the weight room and show that, okay, we're at the ranges with them because we yeah. want to understand what they're going through. We're yeah. going on rucks and overnight stuff with them because yeah. we want to feel and understand what they're going through. And once they start to see that, okay, wow, these guys are now taking time out of their own life. Yeah. Maybe it's off-hour stuff. Right just trying to learn who we are and what we go through, okay, they actually do care about why they're here yeah. and trying to help us opposed to just trying to, okay, we're going to train this way, we're going to worry about this exercise or whatever it may be and go from there. Was that pretty uh, eye-opening to you, like going out on some stuff with them and like, yeah, holy cow, this is, this it is, is what these guys do? It, it, it's just, a, it's a whole different animal. Yeah. And the endurance piece, I think so much, is, is what's different from college athletic and team sports or, or field sports for the most part. Because you've got, you know, mission sets that might last a day or two or the fact that they're going and stopping and going and stopping for very long periods of time, not just an hour or two hours that you need to prepare for. Um, but one of the things that I would love to be able to take back to that college athletic thing is these guys are very good at being uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, I mean, you've got, at least within special forces, you have a group of 12 guys. Yeah. In that group of 12 guys, you have different, you know, kind of skill sets on that team. And so you could have very, you know, 12 different individuals. And out of that, the one underlying factor is these guys, one, not only just care a lot about each other, but two, the fact that they are very good at being uncomfortable. 
and they maybe not have, not that, I mean, some of them do have the physical prowess that a lot of Division One and professional athletes have, but a lot of them might not. Yeah. But their ability to do so much more with sometimes less is something that you wish you could take to these kids yeah. that have maybe some athletic gifts that, and get them to understand what is physically possible. So that's something that is very eye-opening and something that you're awestruck in as far as like, wow, these guys, they're just on a whole different level when it comes to that mental game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the, so, I mean, from a, um, is there anything you guys do to help enhance their kind of, um, I hate the word mental toughness, but like they're that side of things for them, are, you know, utilizing sports psych and all the other we do. I mean, aspects. We're, we're fortunate on our staff. We do have a very good sports psychologist, um, Dr. Kate Colvin. She's, you know, very good at what she does. She's been around the military for a while, so it's not just, you know, okay, we're going to visualize some free throws yeah, and then, yeah, you know, yeah. go from there. <laughs> it, it's, it's a lot about stress management and control and understand that, you know, when things go wrong, how do you then pull back or you know when you get excited how do you control that heart rate and that yeah. breathing rate but so much of what they do in their own training outside of the weight room handles a lot of that whether it's building the trust on the yeah. team um, or preparing them for their mission stuff so we'll get into some of that as far as the physical stuff in the weight room or outside of the weight room when we're training because yes we want to make sure that what we're doing physically is harder more demanding than anything that maybe they have to go through yeah in their job so that's not a shock right. by any means or they're not prepared for it but there's only so much you can do in regards to creating that physical stress yeah. to try to teach that mental toughness totally um you know we're really fortunate as far as being close up to the seahawks they've come down nice. quite a bit and you've got the coaching staff up there's like okay how do you how do you guys teach you know yeah. trust yeah. and team building and it, it almost kind of became a joke it's like that's just kind of ingrained right. by the, the time they get to this and, level yeah, yeah, yeah. like you're not at this level if you don't trust the guy right. and rely right. on the guy next to you yeah. or you don't have that mental, mental toughness you would yeah. not have gotten through whatever selection process yeah. to get to this level no, that's great because I do I don't like even using the word because I think in college yeah. athletics or high school especially it just gets abused too much it is it's, it is like you just said it's almost like no you will need to have this to be successful yeah. if, if you don't have it at this point it's not going to happen yeah it's you have to have that to get through you know the schools and the yeah, selections yeah. to where they're at or it's i mean that's why those things are there to weed out yeah i mean if you can survive you're going to be able to you know get the best training you can to do your job yeah no that's great and you've been there seven a little over seven years you yep. said um How's, uh, how's it look, how's it looking like? I mean, the, I know people have talked about, well, these contracts, you know, mm -hmm. they end sometimes and they get pulled out from undid is job security. I mean, you've been there almost a decade, so it seems yeah, like it's, it's been a pretty good, it has. <laughs> are you worried about like, oh no, we might not get this contract. Like, I mean, at least you'd probably yes. know you're not going to get fired for the team not winning. Yeah, and, the, and that's the thing. It's You understand that it is, a, it is a contract, but at the same time, I'll talk to, you know, I'm still very well connected. And I've got some good friends that are in the college game or in the NFL, and their jobs are just as much, they might have a contract, yeah. but they're still, you know, the job might be in more jeopardy because, you know, they can't necessarily control the factors. Yeah. Um, not that we can, and unfortunately, you know, a number of years ago, there was a big cut um, right. in a lot of the tactical world and people lost their jobs due to no fault of their own. Right. And which stinks because there are a lot of great coaches yeah. that unfortunately we don't have with us anymore. Yeah. Um, but, 
Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that I've been there for you know a little over seven years yeah. in in the coaching world is that's a long time. Yeah, I mean, that's a very long time. But between the environment of working with the guys, the, you know, living up in the Seattle area, um, it's a great place to be. Yeah. And you know, nothing's really set in stone for any job. Sure. And so, if, sure. not that you're not worried about the contracts or because I am a contractor myself. Yeah. But I've been fortunate, you know, for the most part, you know, I've had really good, you know, relationships with, you know, contract companies that I've had. Um, but I think it's just like any other job, you know, yeah. you could, you know, budget cuts could get made, you could lose your job and then you just have to go from there. So right. I think to focus on that would just and, and miss out as far as what, you know, the big picture is and what you're, you know, I'm very fortunate to do, yeah. you know, would be a loss to just think about that aspect. Yeah, that's great. Keep your, keep your mind where your feet are. What, um... How many staff do you guys have there, strength coach-wise? So we've got three strength coaches on staff. Um, so we've got a human performance coordinator um, who's a little more of an administrative role who oversees everything um, but comes from that strength and conditioning world. Um, we've, so we've got, and then we've got three strength coaches on staff um, that are contractors. Okay. We've got two physical therapists on staff that are contractors, an athletic trainer who's a contractor, um, and then a performance psych, a... Um, dietitian, and then kind of a data analyst, sports science um, okay. type person, and then we've got active duty physical therapist and a PT tech. Gotcha. Um, so we've got a really good staff. Yeah, you um, guys function pretty well as a team as we well. We do. Yeah. It's you know we're all in the same building, we're all under the same roof. I mean, from the PT clinic, we have a door that just separates like the strength and conditioning offices to the PT clinic. So we're literally yelling back and forth. Yeah. As far as, you know, the guys that we're working with, you know, we'll stop in. It's like, did so-and-so come in today? Right. You know, and they're swinging over. Okay, are you working with this guy? And the relationship that we have, because a few of us have been there a number of years, yeah. the just the integration that we have with each other, the trust that we have is amazing. Yeah. Um, we work really well together. You know, we're, the big thing is just getting the guys to understand that we're here for them. Yeah. And... You know, we're not trying to step on the rehab side of things. We're trying to make sure that we're always bridging whatever they're at so it's not one or the other. Yeah. You know, it's we can always work around something. If you've got something going on with the shoulder or a hip, we still got three other good limbs in the rest of that body so we can tweak and modify everything. And I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, the military community is still getting used to is the fact that a lot of times when they were hurt, they were getting put on profile. Mm -hmm. And then they're worried about losing maybe their team spot. And so with that, then they, you know, kind of pull themselves out. Like, I don't want to report my injuries. Because if I do, then I'm going to lose my team spot. Then I'm going to get pulled back. Then I can't be with my guys. I can't go on the mission. I'm the weak link. And so building that trust or that buy-in that we talked about earlier is huge because now they understand that, okay, wow, even though I do have something minor with my shoulder, I can go in and I can talk to them. So this doesn't become a surgery issue or something else going on. And and so we've got a great relationship amongst our staff to communicate. And, you know, it's as strength coaches. We spend a lot of the time with our guys on the floor, probably more so than maybe some of the other realms on our staff do. And and so you're looking for moods. Okay, so-and-so's off today. Keep an eye on them. Let's see what's going on. Do we need to get them in and talk to our sports psych person to see what's going on? How's his nutrition? Do we need to, you know, so we kind of try to be extensions without overstepping our bounds of other people on the staff so we can kind of give each other heads up, you know, and so we're all kind of working towards that one common goal. That's cool. What's what's kind of been some of your keys to uh, building the relationships with those with those other support staff people? 
Um, I think just trust and knowing that we're on the same page. We want to make sure, you know, and we'll flat out just talk to each other. Okay, what is the message that you want us to pass on? What is too far in which we're overstepping our bounds? Because we want to make sure that we're not, you know, allowing the guys to mommy and daddy us. So if they come to us, we're going to give the same, you know, piece of information that our nutritionist is opposed to being like, you know, they're out of their mind. You know, this is how you need to be doing it. You need to get X amount of protein. No, it's like, what is her message? What can we then facilitate down? And the same thing from the rehab side of things. It's like, okay, you're beat up. What's going on? Yeah. Okay, this is who, you know, this is what, you know, Doc so-and-so said. Okay, then that's the course that we need to take opposed to saying, oh, they, you know, they don't know what they're talking about, you right, know. So right. it, the big thing's that communication and then trust. Because, again, we've been there for a number of years. And, you know, make sure that you don't burn that bridge. Right, so now right. that line of communication's out. And then you've got a lot to, you know, disconnect. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it probably helps being in a, like a team centric setting yep. too, where those, where, you know, the guys you're working with are so team focused that yeah. if you guys weren't, it would be a real discrepancy yeah, it, it would for just people be a to train. Cluster and, yeah. Because again, we want to make sure that, you know, the trust that we've earned as a strength staff carries over to the nutritionist. Yeah. And so if they see something going on to where they feel that we're not, or, you know, we don't have the trust with those guys, then that'll carry over. Yeah. And the last thing we want to do is then, you know, then our guys don't trust so-and-so, but then that so-and-so doesn't trust as a coach. Right. And then that then, you know, goes off into its own world. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, we talked to a little bit, you know, we're here at a leader summit. You've uh, spoken at the TSAC uh, annual training conference. Mm-hmm. What uh, have you had? You spoken before at different clinics, or was that kind of the first big time speaking thing you did? It was the first uh, bigger conference, bigger okay. clinic that I've, I've I've spoken at little state stuff and whatnot before. Not that that's little by all means, right. but as far as at a national conference, um, and it was good. I spoke on down in Orlando at the annual TSAC conference. You know, not this past year, but the year before. Um, about the training realities okay. of special operations, which got into, uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier as far as kind of scheduling yeah. and all the additional factors that you have to consider when you're you know, planning these guys to schedule out because yeah. they are grown men. So it's like, what's their sleep like? Right. What's their situation at home? Are they going through a divorce? Yeah. Do they have issues with their kids or their girlfriend? Are they having to over-caffeinate in the morning right. to wake up? Do they have to drink to fall asleep at night? Yeah. You know, so you've got those factors going on. When was the last time they saw their family? Do they know their... I mean, so just all these different things that you have to consider in regards to writing their programming. Because I think... And not that there's anything wrong with it, but I think there's a lot of people out there that have... Like, this is how you train Green Berets. This is how you train, you know, the tactical athlete. Well, that's great in the lab. So what happens when you don't know if that guy's going to come in five days that week or once a week? Yeah. How much sleep? What if he's only getting three hours of sleep because he was on a night jump the night before and the only time he has to come in is now at 10 o'clock and he's got 45 minutes? <sighs> and so you have yeah. all these factors in which you have to be that filter yeah. in which you're taking the knowledge that you've had, the experience that you have. Okay, this guy, when was the last time he was in? What's going on with his training? Where is he at? What do we need to do today to make sure that we're pushing that needle forward without putting him in a bad place? Right. Um, because at the end of the day, you've got a little bit of an older athlete. You don't have that 19 year old kid or that, you know, that freshman in, you know, college that you might have four to five years straight. Yeah. 
in which you could, you know, just build and build and build. Right. This guy's going to be all over the map. You know, he's going to have issues and wear and tear. And how do you modify all of these different factors to make sure that he is first and foremost healthy yeah. without trying to put the weight room first and like, oh, man, what's a squat? Right. We got to right. get those legs strong, man. Yeah, you, you yeah. know, okay, that's great. But yeah. big picture, where does that fit in? Yeah. And obviously you talked a little bit about it. Was, you know, experience and your, what you guys have done, how else did you, do you prepare for like, uh, creating a speech like that and presenting it? Man, just, it is other than, you know, looking into the research as far as what's out there, you know, looking at some of the stressors, especially for that talk, but then talking to other coaches, talking to our guys, you know, fortunately this field's been around and it's, you know, it's taking off. You've got, you know, especially here at this summit, you've got about 40 people, that are incredibly smart with amazing experience. And because it's such a small world of strength and conditioning and a small world of strength and conditioning as a whole, everybody wants to help each other because you're not trying, well, we don't have to compete against so-and-so. So, so you know, it's not the E, it's not an ego driven thing, which, you know, I think sometimes maybe that football realm can be. So everybody's trying to help each other because at the end of the day, when one person wins, we all wins. We all win, excuse me. So, if somebody's got some information that they have seen work, you know, I can call so-and-so up at seventh group or so-and-so down at, you know, you know, with the seals or whoever that may be. Yeah. And like, this is what we're seeing. That's cool. Do you guys, are you guys seeing anything like this or is this kind of an, an anomaly right now? Yeah. Okay. You are seeing that. So that, then we can kind of extrapolate that and start to look at, you know, larger points of data to some extent. Can we base what we're seeing, you know, as far as, you know, just the hypotheticals with actual, you know, tangible data that's, you know, we can line up with stuff to back up what we're doing. Yeah, no, it's huge to talking to other people, especially and having the, your network of other coaches and that are doing the same things you guys are doing. Yeah. It's keeping secrets of what they're doing. Um, exactly. You mentioned grow, you know, the growth of the ta- tactical mm-hmm. operate, you know, position. So is that growing f- special forces as well as the rest of the military. I mean, we see we see the Army's mm-hmm. implementing new physical fitness standards for, yep. you know, everybody. How's this stuff changing, like, the, the opportunities for the future? There's a lot of rumors out there as far as, I guess, and I can't really speak on it because I don't have, you know, the actual knowledge of it, but there's a lot of rumors because they kind of started within the special operations community. We've already put a lot of dollars in as far as into these people as athletes, as humans, as soldiers. And okay, so let's start this human performance model here. And they've seen, you know, what that's done and all the benefits of it. And so it's now, okay, let's start to then take this down to big military as far as outside the special operations unit. So I think this world is only going to continue to grow. Um, I think at a lot of the sites right now, they're probably, because you have larger staffs at specific groups. I don't think you're going to see as much growth at the special operations units as you are now into, you know, passing down the chain into, you know, you know, big army, so to speak. Okay. Is there uh if you're, so once you're in, you're working with, you know, special forces, army guys, is there a lot of, um, changing, like going from, working with uh, special forces to working with SEALs? Or do you see guys kind of trans transferring jobs in, the, like you'd see more mm-hmm. movement in college, obviously. Granted, not as many jobs, but are people yep. kind of making those lateral shifts as well in that tactical setting as coaches? To a smaller scale. Okay. Um, 
And I think that's just because right now it's you don't have as many schools. You don't have, yeah. you know, you, you might have people that have because now you've got people in the tactical world and that experience is huge. So when a job comes open, it may be a different site or with a different group of special operations. You know, those people will, you know, maybe look to make some of those moves, yeah. but it's not as much. And I think because you form such a relation, good relationship within that unit. Yeah. Um, and again, that's no, you know, I'm up at first group and that's no offense to 10th group here in right. Carson, right. but I love my first group guys yeah. and everybody's got a d- little bit of a different culture and, a, yeah. you know, different attitude towards sure. things. And so to, I guess, leave that would take something very special, yeah. even to stay within the community. Yeah. Um, because you do we're very fortunate i mean i'm a civilian i have no army ties my dad was in years ago but you know it has nothing to do with me and and being in the military and so to be in this community and to be to earn that trust and that buy-in and then to kind of see behind these closed doors that you know i have not on paper earned the right to see yeah the the selection processes and everything that these men have gone through to get to this level and now to be in that family is huge. And so to walk away, the personal investment, it it would be tough Yeah, just to move to another role. Sure. So what's the absolute best thing about your job then right now? I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it's definitely the guy and it's super cliche, but the people that you work with, Yeah, uh, it's because with the college athlete, there's a little bit of a disconnect as far as there is a very defined coach athlete role. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And that that's a huge benefit as far as how training and coaching and everything can be within our role. I mean, our average guy is, you know, probably around, you know, 30 years old. And so no, you have grown men that are very close to your age that are very going through a lot of different things, but they are very smart individuals. We've got a lot of guys with college degrees, educated degrees, former athletes, And they want to know why we're doing what we're doing. And so you need to make sure that not only are you good at what you do, but you need to then educate them to explain on what's going on. And so the relationships that you end up building with these guys in these communities, again, after that, you've got that buy-in and that trust, it's it's just a whole different animal. Yeah, no, that's great. And you uh, also are credible as a, you know, um, being a weightlifter yourself, you kind of hold some street cred with these guys because they know that you train yep. yourself as well. Talk a little bit about what you, you compete in weightlifting. I do. Yeah. So I compete in weightlifting or Olympic weightlifting as a lot of people know it. Um, and I got into that just from trying to learn from another coach up in the Northwest, um, John Thrush. John's been around for a long time. He's a senior international level coach. He's had you know, national champions, Olympian, I mean, just, and so when I had gone up there as a coach, you know, to first group, we had one of our guys who started moving with the barbell one day as far as warming up for the snatch. And I'm like, okay, who are you and what have you done? Yeah. Because you can just tell when somebody is very proficient at the, you know, in weightlifting compared to, okay, they've snatched maybe before. And so, you know, then he informed me that John lived up there and I've known John's name and, you know, kind of his training and whatnot. And so I went um, and I wanted to learn from John as a coach. And, you know, his his John was just along the lines of like, there's no better way for you to learn this sport or learn about the training and the programming than to do it. Yeah. And I was very fortunate enough to be able to start to train under John. And I fell in love with the sport. Nice. I wish I would have fallen in love with it maybe 15 years right. earlier, yeah, opposed yeah, yeah. to being after 30 years old. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
I've fallen in love with the sport and, it's, and it gives you that direction to train. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that with our guys, when they see that you, you know, this is a huge part of your life and you're living a life that you are trying to preach to them. Yeah. And that started back, you know, when I was in college and learning to train and then under Evan and Ed, you know, on the staff at Virginia, as far as like, if you're going to choose the strength coach life, you need to, you know, show that it's a lifestyle. You yeah. need to make sure that you sleep, you eat right, right. you do all the little things because that gives you that credibility. Yeah. You can't go out and be a night owl and right. come in hungover, <laughs> right. smelling of whatever, yeah. and then talk about or get on a kid right. about like, well, why aren't you doing the little things? Like, yeah. dude, you're hungover from the night before. Yeah. Don't get out of my face. Yeah. Um, and so getting into the, you know, weightlifting has been amazing. Um, but then, you know, the guys, you know, seeing that, okay, he trains and takes yeah. it seriously. And then it kind of gives you a little bit of of an, an additional like expert knowledge type of thing. Oh they God. know that, okay, that if, if he, this is the guy to talk to about the running or, you know, he really, he's really into the weightlifting and power yeah. development, you know, yeah. whatever that may be. Um, doesn't, we, we definitely don't force weightlifting down our guys' throats. Sure. Um, that's a whole separate conversation. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, but it, it's definitely can be a great tool and it just, you know, shows the guys that you do care about actual physical performance and the things that go into that. Yeah. I love it. I always say never trust a skinny chef. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. It's the same thing. That's pretty true. Um, if somebody, so someone's interested in, let's say you're in college now and you're hearing all this stuff about tactical, is mm -hmm. there kind of a recommended route that you would say, well, you got, you should do this, this and this, or mm -hmm. what, what would you recommend to somebody who's interested in being where you are? someday i think right now um you guys here in it not just because you know we're talking but i think the nsca has become a great um contact point for that as far as the people in the tsac division whether it's nate palin or matt thompson are great people to reach out to because they know everybody in the community and they're going to have their ear to the ground as far as what's going on or they can put people in touch with wherever they live at as far as like okay this unit is here this is who you then need to talk to yeah. Um, if you don't want to go that route, okay, what's the nearest military post yeah. and then find out what's going on there. And with a little bit of research, you'd be able to find, okay, does this unit have something going on? Yeah. Um, but I think it's like anything else. You got to get involved. Yeah. Um, because this field is evolving before they were pulling so much from that collegiate and professional realm. Right. I mean, we're coming up on a decade into now the tactical realm. And I yeah. think we're going to start to see a shift to where before it, to get some of these jobs, you had to have at least five years of collegiate or division one experience um, or professional experience, excuse me. Now you're going to start to see that you're probably going to have to have a minimum of, of tactical experience yeah, yeah, because yeah. it is such a different world. Yeah. And so the sooner people can get in and get their name, you know, just recognized. Right. Um, so I think here, you know, the TSAC division here, you know, it, it is a great reference point for people to, you know, reach out to. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I think I, I tell a lot of people too, like our internship program here, yep. you know, we have two different SWAT teams, uh, first responders, quote unquote, regular yep. police officers. So um, there are opportunities. I know that UCCS here where JDAWS is a professor at, mm -hmm. they do research with the fire academy and the police academy. So there's places if... Uh, if you're out there listening and you're interested in getting involved in it, there's a lot of opportunities. And like Hunter says, they're growing. No um, question. So yeah, I think it's, it's going to blow up. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Cool, man. This has been super helpful. If people uh, listening in want to catch up with you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Got social media you want to throw out? Or um, you? Not a ton of social media. Um, I am on Facebook, which is easy just to find my name, Hunter Schur, S-C-H-U-R-R-E-R. Um, I do have an Instagram account, but I have not been on that in over a year. Um, that's just kind of shut down, so I wouldn't worry about that. Um, but uh, my personal email account, if you email me, I will get back to it, which is just my first initial H, and then sure, S-C-H-U-R-R-E-R at Gmail. If people hit me up at that, then that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Great. We'll make sure we put all that in the show notes, but thanks again for being on the show. No, thank you for having me, Scott. It's been fun, man. Thank you for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We truly appreciate your support, and we wouldn't be able to do this without you. So keep on listening. If you enjoyed our episodes, please go write us a review at iTunes or Google Play, wherever you download your episodes from. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get these delivered to you every other week right on time. You don't want to miss the next one. Uh, Also, you can go to NSCA.com and check out the episodes there if you prefer that, and as well, check out our new website and everything that's going on. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.